He's a retired police officer. He was shot multiple times, died twice during medical treatment. He's here to talk about his recovery, life afterwards, the work he does to help others, and how this has inspired a book and much more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders, because at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. Under programs, you'll find details about Shatterproof. Connecting from Massachusetts, we have Mario Oliveira on the phone. Mario is a retired police officer. We'll talk about that in a moment. Mario was a prior guest on this show. He was way back in Season 2, Episode 54. Mario was shot multiple times, died twice during hospitalization, obviously recovered. His experience has been turned into a book. We'll talk about the book. The book's called Gun Runner. And there's talk about it being made into a television show and or movie. Mario, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for having me. For those who are not familiar with the details, briefly talk about how you were shot. What happened? Certainly. Um, So back in 2000, late 2010, um, I, w- I had been assigned to the ATF in Boston as a uh, task force officer. And um, it came to my attention that uh, an individual from my city of Somerville had purchased a number of firearms uh, and <clears throat> from a local um, FFL gun dealer up in New Hampshire. Um, what was interesting was the individual that purchased these guns had a criminal record in Massachusetts and was known to me from previous interactions within law enforcement. So it was puzzling to me how it, how this individual was able to buy guns in a neighboring state right. where he couldn't possibly buy guns lawfully in the state of Mass. And a, a, an investigation ensued. I ended up bringing this kid in. He confesses to all his crimes. Rather than arresting him, gave him an opportunity to work as a cooperating source. That went south. I ended up getting federal arrest warrants for him, went to his house one night a month later because he was on the run. And he came, he was home, came out, he was in his car. I tried to extract him from the vehicle. He shoots me point blank range six times, all on my chest and stomach. He was killed in the incident by my, my partners and the, the officers that were on scene, so he didn't make it. 
So you were exactly. you were shot six times. Were, were any yes, rounds stopped by soft body armor? No, I had I had no vest on that night because I didn't expect to see him. Yeah, we, my partner and I randomly went up there on a whim, thinking that you know he's he he hadn't been around for over a month. I figured he went to Florida. That's, that's one of the things wanted. that he, I know for me, I was like, man, I'm just going to the convenience store to get coffee. I'm not going to put the vest on. And it's, I know, I'm not saying this to be critical, but we all go through that. Ah, the heck with it. It's just a short distance. I'm not going to put the seatbelt on. I'm not putting the vest on. I'm not doing it. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. It's stinky. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm sure when you, you saw the gun at some point, you're like, uh-oh. Yeah, well, it was kind of too late when I, I never saw the gun. I, he was in the car. I was trying to get him out of the car. He knew who I was because I just I just interviewed him less than a month before and gave him the break of his lifetime. Instead of arresting him, which I could have easily done for a multitude of federal firearms violations, I opted to let him go home and work for work it off with the police and help us get these gang members that he was facilitating guns to. And, you know, never thought, you know, that he would, you know, it would end up that way. Was there anything in his demeanor or his record that would lead you to believe that he had a potential for violence? No, not that I I recall. He had some minor drug possessions, um, charges on his uh, BOP, his his criminal record, and maybe some uh, disorderly, but that's it. Nothing major, no armed robbery or murder or anything egregious, you know? Yeah, and, and the reason like I say that, Mary, is because that's all part of why we do what we do, and it dictates our our stance. A lot of times people say, well, you know, he's just a guy walking on the street, and minding his own business, and the police were all rough with him. Well, he's got 47 priors, and 47 are for armed robbery and shooting people. There's nothing in this kid's record that led you to believe he's a threat of violence. Correct. And I not, said, not kid, to that extreme anyway. Yeah, no, not I, to that extreme. I said, kid, I, I don't know how old he was. So you, you were shot 21. six times and literally you were on death's door when you're being transported to hospital. Mm-hmm. Correct. How long was your recovery and, and surgery and all that? Well, um, I made it to the hospital, um, within seven minutes, uh, which is miraculous. And I thank the, the Mass State Police. I think the members of my department and all the officers involved, their hard work in shutting down streets saved my life. Saved my life for sure. And you're still and a I, young man. That's the thing. You're, you're not an old guy. I was I was only 41 years old at the time. Yeah. It's been 10 years. I'm, you know, I'm a little over 50 years old now, but then I was only 41. I had a, a three-year-old boy. I later found out when I got home from the hospital, my wife was pregnant too. I had no idea. There's no age. There's no age that's appropriate for this. There's no age that's okay. But it's part of the weird thinking. I'm retired police. Mario's retired police, and we don't want to see anything bad happen to anybody. But we're like, oh, you know, that's awfully young. And and we're going to talk more about your recovery process afterwards. But one of the things from the prior interview I remember is you're in the hospital and you literally died twice during medical procedures. Correct. It was actually three times. Three times. Mm-hmm. Three times, yeah. What was, what was weird is I was awake the whole time, still thinking in my mind, why aren't these people putting me out? Like, why Why haven't I passed out? You know, because I know they, 
you know, from watching TV and just knowledge, you know, growing up, you know, like they inject whatever it is, anesthesia, and you just fall asleep. You don't feel or hear anything. Well, not me. I was awake the whole time. I was awake the whole time, and I'm thinking to myself, why am I, why am I still awake? And how come I can hear and feel, and this is, this is not normal? And right at that moment, I remember looking up at all these doctors' faces, the doctors and the nurses that were working on me feverishly in the um, trauma bed, in the ER, and they had the look of panic. I, they had, their voices were panicked. Their facial expressions were panicked, which in turn made me panic. And I remember just blinking, like um, closing my eyes for a second. And when I reopened them, they were all gone. They were gone. I could still, I knew they were near me because I could hear their voices, but I couldn't see anybody working on me anymore. And that scared me because I initially thought, did they give up on me? Am I a lost cause? Am I going to die? Yeah. Right at that moment, when I felt a presence, someone standing next to me, to my left side. And I remember uh, being afraid to look initially, and I dipped my head, and I looked to the left, and I saw this older nurse. She was short and stocky and had these circular, round, big glasses and a hair pulled back and a tight bun. And this nurse came over to me, and she, with one hand, she lifted the back of my head up, and the other hand, she was massaging my forehead. And she kept saying to me, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And we take a short break. We're talking Mario Oliveira. We're going to turn to his story. Trust me, you don't want to miss what's coming up on the Law Enforcement Today Show. We will be right back. Every day you put on your uniform and go to work, someone may be counting on you to be there for them in a life or death situation. Because emergencies can happen at any time and to anyone. The question is, where do first responders turn when they are in crisis? At FHE Health, our specialized treatment program has helped many first responder families successfully manage PTSD, addiction, and other mental health issues. Struggling? Call FHE Health today at 833-776-1420 or online at FHEHealth.com. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. Return conversation with Mario Oliveira, retired police officer from Massachusetts. He was shot multiple times, and he obviously he died three times. Before we went to break, we started talking about this image, this presence he felt. He will explain in a moment. We're going to talk about his recovery, life after for him, his family, how this has led to a book called Gun Runner, which may be made into a television series and or movie. Mary, before we went to break, you're talking about, it sounds to me, and I might be wrong, like an out-of-body experience while the doctors and nurses were treating you and trying to save your life. And you could see the panic in their faces. You could hear the panic in their voices. And then you didn't see them. And you you saw this older nurse who was trying to comfort you. 
Correct. So now, um, as she was telling me that I was going to be okay and reassuring me I was going to be okay, I remember being very cold because obviously they took all my clothes off and they had the air conditioning running in, in the beginning of November, which I find odd, but that's for another, another story. Um, and I asked her to put a blanket on me because I was cold. And I didn't see her leave me, nor did I see a blanket, but I felt warm once I said that to her. I asked her for a blanket. And then, without any notice, without any warning, they rushed me out of that trauma bay, and they were running down the hall. I remember counting the ceiling tiles above me, and they were flying. I'm talking they were, they were hauling butt. They were hauling butt down the hall. And I remember looking up a little bit. With, I, I kind of tried to lift my head up, and I saw Dr. King, my surgeon. He was the one that was leading the charge. He was pulling the gurney that I was on, and he was screaming to folks down the hall to hold the elevator that we were going to floor three, uh, operating room 26, you know, barking orders. We took a right sharp turn to go to the elevator. In the elevator, he was giving orders to the nurses and his, his trauma team to fire up the x-ray machine, get X amount of units of blood, and yada, yada. So now I remember being wheeled into the OR. I knew I was there because it was much quieter, it was much colder, and the lights were much, much brighter. And again, I lay there on that gurney, still awake, thinking, how the heck am I still awake? I can still remember everything. And right at that moment again, I felt that presence, that person standing over to my left. And I dipped my head again, and I, it was the same older nurse from downstairs in the trauma bay. And she again came over to me, and she lifted the back of my head up and was massaging my forehead again. She was telling me it was going to be okay. And I remember telling her, just let me die. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired. Just tell my, tell my family I love them. Tell my boy I love him. Tell, him. tell my family I fought hard to stay alive. She told me, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. And that's all I remember at that point. And that's when everything went black. I don't remember anything else after that. So I woke up a day and a half later in the ICU. And um, after anesthesia wore, wore off, I um, saw my wife and my parents there in, my, in the room in the um, intensive care unit, and I began to talk. I didn't know where I was or what, ha or what happened to me. Well, I knew what happened to me. I just didn't know where I was. And my wife said, you're at Mass General. You're alive. I'm like, I didn't die? She said, no, you died, you died three times, but you came back. And at that point, the nurses got my doctor, Dr. King, because they heard me talking. So he came in, and we were talking. And I thanked him profusely. I kept thanking him for saving my life. He told me at that point in front of my parents and my wife that he did a procedure that he did he does in the military because I found out that he was a colonel in the Army, and he's a trauma doctor, and that he cut my diaphragm one of the times, and he reached into my heart and massaged my heart back to life with his own hand one of the times that I died just to get my heart going again. And, of course, I'm thanking him, and I asked him, I asked him to find the nurse that was with me that comforted me because I wanted to um, to thank her. And he looked at me and he said, what nurse are you talking about? What does she look like? And I described that older nurse to him as I did a few minutes ago. Short, stocky lady, about 65, big circular round glasses and a tight bun. Hair pulled back in a tight bun. He looked at my wife and parents and he said, 
there was no nurse that looked like that that was on the trauma team. I don't know who you're talking about. And I told him, you guys ran me down the hall. You were bought, you know, I repeated verbatim things that he said and was yelling and was talking about and what happened to us in that whirlwind ride up to the, um, to the OR. And he said, how do you know all that? And I said, because I was on the bed and I was awake. He said, no, you were dead. We were giving you chest compressions and breaths. You were gone. You were gone for over three minutes. You were clinically dead. Dead people can't form memories. I don't, I, I, I'm, I work on science. I'm a, I'm a surgeon. This is impossible. But he, he, he looked frantic that I was able to repeat all these phrases and, and words and, and sentences that he actually said and things that, that he did when I shouldn't have known. But I kind of freaked him out. Yeah, kind of. I, I, it's like, uh, uh, I picked a bad day to quit smoking or whatever it was, like that movie yeah. Airplane. So, you know, yeah. Mario, we've talked many times. And, and as I said earlier, Mario was on the show way back season two, episode 54. And uh, that was several years ago. And every time you tell your story, Mario, I'm moved. Um, I can't help but think... Uh, this is an overused phrase. Miracles happen. They happen every day. Sometimes we don't see them. Sometimes we're not aware that they're happening. And here's the other thing I get. You go to the grocery store and there's an older guy in front of you or an older woman in front of you. And we don't know their story. We don't know what they've been through. They could be, that could be Mario right in the grocery line in front of you. And Maybe we should take a little bit of a time to get to know the people we pass by. And I'm as guilty of this as everybody else. We're all busy. And I'm on a mission. I go in a grocery store. I'm getting a sweet and low, and I'm getting out of here. You know, whoever it might right. be. And I'm mad at my wife for having to go there. And you're in front of me. And if I could take two minutes to say hello and maybe get to chat a little bit, I might find a story that could change my life. Mm-hmm. And that's True. the reality of your story. And by the way, you eventually found out who you thought that older nurse was, right? Yeah. So, um, oddly enough, um, actually, let me digress for a second. On the en route to the hospital from the crime scene, they were trying to, you know, get an IV in me, and I was I had bled out so much I was clinging on to life. I kept telling the paramedic to do his job and, and that I would do mine because I had to get home to my son. He was only three. I didn't want to die and leave my son behind without a father. I was hell bent on surviving this thing and getting home to my son. I, he, I kept telling him, I have, a, I have a son. He's three. His name is Drew. And the paramedics said to me, oh, you have two boys? And I said, what are you, nuts? I just told you I had one. I don't have two kids. Well, I found out the day I got home from the hospital, three weeks later, that my wife was pregnant. And nine months later, on my birthday... My second son was born, and I named him after my surgeon, and he's his godfather. When you have a chance, if you talk to them, please extend. I know you've you've said thanks many times. Please extend my thanks as well. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We are talking with Maria Oliveira, retired police officer, shot multiple times. He died three times. When we return, we're going to talk about his recovery afterwards, how it impacted him, his family, and how that has led to a book and possibly much more. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? 
Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. What does it take to be a hero? Some say sacrifice, others, courage or strength. We see all these things in men and women in our first responder program at FHE Health. The courage to ask for help when you need it. The strength to believe healing is possible when you feel hopeless. The sacrifice to come to treatment because their family and community are depending on you. Heroes overcome. For more information about our specialized addiction and mental health treatment program for first responders, call FHE Health at 833-776-1420 or online at FHEHealth.com. After our conversation with Maria Oliveira on the Law Enforcement Today show, Maria is a retired police officer from Massachusetts. He was shot multiple times, six times, died three times during treatment at the hospital. He's a prior guest talking about the incident. That was season two, episode 54 of the podcast. You can look it up. Just go to letradioshow.com. He's a president and co-founder of Violently Injured Police Officers, Vipo911.org, and his experience has been turned into a book, which we'll talk about. The book's called Gunrunner, and it may be made into a movie and or television series. Mary, before we went to break, we were telling you a story, what happened, and it's amazing to me that you are alive and able to tell your story, and it's a, a big thanks to... I believe in God and also the, the God-given skills and the staff, the paramedics, the, the officers on scene, the nurses, the doctors, everybody at the hospital that, that helped take took care of you. How long were you hospitalized? So I was in the hospital for several weeks, and then I was released to go home. Jeez, I don't even know. November, it was right before Thanksgiving. I was shot November 2nd, 2010. It was right before Thanksgiving. So several weeks I was in there. And then you went home, and it was Thanksgiving, and that's the time we all normally get together with family and celebrate, and let's just say you had some really, really, you and your family had some really steep challenges to go through in your recovery process. Yeah, so I, I, um, you know, PTSD does bad things to you, mentally. You know, you, you, you conjure up all these different feelings and thoughts and visions and whatnot, and I don't think I'd be able to really do your audience any good if I was trying to explain what was going through my head during Christmas that year and Thanksgiving. So I, I couldn't make it. I'll probably cry. Um, just, just the thoughts of not being with my family and, and being dead and, you know, knowing that my kids would grow up without a father. It's just a thought that I don't even, I don't even want to think of. Um, but in any event, I made it back to work in five months. I went back to work. I forced myself to get better. I, I lied to my doctors. I lied to my wife. I lied to myself. I went back to work in five months, full duty, back to the ATF in Boston, back on the streets again, only to suffer a major heart attack 10 months later because of all the stress. And it was connected. Uh, doctors connected the heart attack to my shooting. I'm, I'm in good shape. I'm not overweight. I think I weighed 160 pounds soaking wet. I was in very good shape and didn't have any heart issues or any medical issues, nothing. I had just had a physical six months prior to the shooting, oddly enough. Clean bill of health, no issues. No diabetes, no high blood pressure, nothing. So I ended up having a major heart attack. That forced me to retire. The retirement process in and of itself is what really did me in. 
I waited around for two and a half years for my city administration to make a decision on a thing called Home Rule Petition Special Legislation, which would allow me to get 100% of my pay tax-free because of my injuries. This exists in every state and exists in mass. And I knew this existed, and I went and petitioned for this. And my mayor just dragged his feet with his, his staff, and they made me wait over two years where I sat at home wondering, how am I going to take care of my family? How do I pay my bills? I'm only getting my base salary, like 72% of my pay. Right. A little bit more than half your pay. And I knew, had I died that night, my wife and children would have received a federal benefit, a state payout benefit, my full pay, 100% of my pay for the rest of her life with all the raises that my department would have received, she would have received. Financially, it would have been easier for them if you had not survived. Correct. Financially speaking, yes. Right. Now, the emotional part of it, and that's a part Mary, a lot of people don't get sometimes, and I say this all the time, I've had many people on the show. I've talked to many cops who, who were shot multiple times, military as well, that survived and said they wish they had died because it was so hard on their family. Right. Financially and speaking, emotionally, all the aftermath. You talked earlier about PTSD. In addition to your physical injuries, did you find yourself being distant from your family and, and prone to anger and irritability? Yes. Oh, yes. 100%. I was I would snap so easily. As a matter of fact, I got so bad that I actually left home and went to a facility and stayed there for ten days, just just to try to get myself some help because I saw myself getting bad and I could see how it was affecting my poor wife. Who, you know, she didn't she didn't ask for this. This wasn't her fault. It wasn't my son's fault. You know, my family ended up taking the brunt of my anger and my frustration with my city administration and my, you know, not knowing my future, all that in one, you know, I, I feel terrible. It's, it is horrible. And I, I equate it to this and my injuries were not as severe as Mario's. So, and I do my best nowadays not to not get into the comparison game. But when I was, it was determined I could no longer return to work as a police sergeant and I had to stay home. Then you're wondering, you're like in limbo. And it's like, are they going to retire you? Am I going to get fired? Do I have to quit? Does my family lose their health insurance? And all that, it's a horrible waiting game. And there's little little nasty things that, that and I'm not saying it's a police department. They do everything they can. Once it gets in the hands of the, the bean counters and accountants from City Hall or the county or the state or even federal government and workers' compensation insurance gets involved, you are in for torture. Right. Sadly. That's, That's the reality true. of what they do. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I are both told, I'm sure you heard this in, from the academy days. Anything happens to you, we got your back. We'll take care of you. We'll take care of your mm-hmm. family. Your family will always be taken care of. They do the best they can. I'm not anti-police. But once it's out of their hands, you are in for a ride. I mean, it's a horrible ride, too. Yeah, it's very true. The traumas uh, on the job are one thing. The, the treatment by the own agency or city because it's kind of hard to differentiate for me at times the treatment by the city the township the county whoever it is is quite often what breaks the camel's back was that the case for you no so with me my department 
my leadership of my department was phenomenal. Yeah. My chief, my deputy chiefs, they were at my house every day or every other day bringing food, bringing my son a little toy, a stuffed animal, anything to make him feel comfortable. I can't speak highly enough about my leadership and, and my coworkers, many of whom you know, stayed and offered their own time to stay with me in my hospital room during my hospital stay. But nothing. They didn't get overtime. They didn't get comp time. They just did it because they wanted to be there with me. Right. So for me, that's when I saw it, that the dental line exists. It does. And it, it the department and the, the, the brothers and sisters you work with are, are totally supportive. I'm talking yeah, about the city government, the town government, the, and workers' compensation, the accountants and bean counters, I call them. Right. Those folks, not so much, sadly. Not so much. And you, um, you, you forced your way back to work. You said you lied to your wife. You lied to the doctor. You did. Was it like, I'm going to show them. I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm going to be the same guy I was. I'm going to be the same cop I was before. Partly. Well, my, my rationale was I have a family I have to, I have to take care of. And, and I, have to, I have to make money. I have to pay a mortgage. I have, to, I have college, college degrees I got to pay for. I had one at the time. Now I have two boys. I have two little kids. I have to plan for the future. I have bills just like everybody else. Right. You know, I needed to, I needed to get back on my feet again. And I just wanted to be human again. I wanted to be whole again and just do what I used to, I love doing, being a cop. So I forced myself to get as, as better as I could within reason. And I went back to work and, I clearly was not mentally or physically prepared. We are talking with Mario Oliveira. He's a retired police officer, and he was shot multiple times, died three times during his hospitalization. We're going to talk more about his recovery and how this led to a book called Gunrunner and how that may be made into a movie. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore. Because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for law enforcement today radio show when you get there click like and follow as click like and follow law enforcement today radio show on facebook this is the law enforcement today show return conversation with mario Oliveira, retired police officer from massachusetts he was shot multiple times died three times during hospitalization He's, by the way, he was a prior guest on the show, back season two, episode 54 of the podcast. You can listen to it. He's the president and co-founder of Violently Injured Police Officers, vipo911.org is their website. And his experience has become a book. We will talk about that. Co-authored by Keith Notek, who is also a guest on the show, season five, episode five. Talking about his experiences. Mario, every time I talk with you, the miracle uh, that you're alive is not lost on me. And so many people, and I try not to spend a lot of time with this, so many people that were really good cops didn't make it. And sometimes there's no rhyme or reason, but you're here. 
and, and you found a purpose from your pain and your experience and everything you've been through, you and your family have been through, and use that as a motivation to help others. Can you tell us how you transitioned from recovering after your retirement to like founding VIPO, Violently Injured Police Officers? Certainly. So during the two years that I was home and wondering and worrying about how I was going to take care of my family financially, I did a lot of research. And again, I, I mentioned a few minutes earlier that I learned about special legislation, um, home rule petitions. So I had filed, uh, well, I had through my chief, had filed for one of those home rule petitions, which would give me 100% of my pay, tax-free, with all the raises. And after two and a half years of being in limbo and not being you know, properly communicated with by the city administrators, you know, the mayor's office and whatnot, those folks, and, and, and suffering emotional trauma, psychological trauma, that, that was honestly hurt me more than being shot six times with bullets. To this day, that hurt me more. And so I eventually, with the help of a, the late Senator Ken Donnelly, God rest his soul, he was a great man. He pushed my legislation through and got it approved. So I finally got it after two and a half year fight. So what I did was I had an epiphany one day. I was at home. I was praying to God like I always do from home and, you know, being very grateful for everything that, that has been given to me. And I, I had an idea. God gave me an idea of why don't you start an organization and pay it forward? Help those. Because I knew there were many before me who had been shot and got nothing. Right. They're getting more, maybe half their paycheck. And I said, you know what? Why don't I help those in the future? I may not be able to help those that were before me, but I can certainly do something for the future. I got to tell you, I think I guess I show who who was a deputy in Texarkana, and he was shot multiple times, uh, almost killed, and he lost everything. He had to retire in yeah. Social Security. Literally lost everything. They lost their house, him and his family. That's a that's a shame. This should not happen in America, but it does. Yeah. And I'm not talking the 1930s. I'm talking the last 20 years. Yep. So I I had this idea. And I started this nonprofit organization with my partner, Bob Zanapoli from Ubin, who, oddly enough, was going through the same ordeal at that same time with his city manager or mayor of his city. He was also shot six times and was being put through the ringer. And I told Bob, I said, let's go out. Let's go on the speaking circuit. Tell our stories. And we also wrote legislation, a law that we now have pending in the state of Mass. Since then, I've been able to pass this same exact bill in the state of Oklahoma, in Kentucky, and it's been filed in seven different states already. It needs to be seven a nationwide thing, Mario. It, That's exactly and, and my right. My story is it's similar in many ways, but quite different. You know, I got hurt and retired in an act of violence, and I got what they call 66 and two-thirds, and it's tax-free. But we had to take our city to court for them violating laws and contracts they settled for, for for retirement. Secondly, the moment I was retired, my health insurance tripled. I no longer had the rates that active duty officers had. I had tripled the rates and could not retire. I had to find something else to do. So the, the fact that 66 and two-thirds sounds like you're on easy street, you're not. Right. I have this bill, this legislation that's pending in mass still for the last couple of years. Um, it's been filed in seven other different states. 
and passed in two. I figured in writing my book and getting my story out there, you know, this world is upside down that we're living in, especially um, our own country, the USA, the country that I love dearly. It's upside down. I don't care what side of the political aisle that you stand on. Right. It's upside down. You know, that there's a lot of unknowns. There's people in poverty. There's people with, with issues going on. And my story is one of hope and faith. My grandmother gave me hope that I would survive. And through faith, faith my faith in God and believing that there's an afterlife and believing that there is heaven and God, that pulled me through that horrific night. And I'm hoping that my story will give hope and faith to those that are out there who are suffering from an illness, maybe have lost a loved one, and they're wondering where their loved one is. Is there really a heaven? Is God really for real? Does heaven exist? Well, I hold the answer to life's nagging question. It does. Heaven does exist. And God is for real. And it's out there. There is something else after our life here on earth. I have the answer to that nagging question. And I wanted to use my book as a vehicle to reach hopefully millions of people in this country who will hopefully buy the book and read the book and and get that hope and faith and that peace in their lives. And the book is called Gun Runner, correct? Right, because I was after people that were running guns from different states into my state of Massachusetts. These guns were ended up being in the hands of known felons and criminals who were then using those guns to kill innocent people that were, you know, in the crosshairs or, you know, bullets are being ricocheted and innocent moms with their little babies and and their strolls are walking down the park. They're getting, you know, inadvertently hit and struck and killed. So when you're writing this book, and I agree 100%, I I had this idea that I could write a great book or have an Irish tavern when I retired, one of the two. And I, I, thank God I wised up. Neither one. I'm not an author. And I don't want to be married to a tavern. I, I just don't want to do it. Did it come a point where you realize, I can't do this by myself. I need to reach out and find someone who's good at this, who knows how to write? Right. So that's that's what happened. Was I reached out through a mutual friend to Keith Notech, who is from L.A. He's from California, the other, across the whole country, of all places. I'm in Massachusetts. This guy is in, from California, former commander, 30 years. Um, had his own ups and downs in his career, uh, ended up, you know, having problems with drinking because of PTSD right. and suppressing all the, the He's a phenomenal the story. Trauma. Keith is a phenomenal yeah. guy. He's also written yeah, many books, hasn't he? He's written three books, and his, mo- his most recent book became a film. And I reached out to him and asked him if he would help me write my story. At, unbeknownst to me at that time, he wasn't really prepared to write another book. He was just going to tell me how to do it. <laughs> but I sent him a video of Dr. King and I. It's a video that Dr. King talks about how, you know, I've told him what happened during that night that I was dead. And at the end, when he watched the video, he and his wife were in tears crying. He looked at his wife and he said, I got to write this guy's book. This is just too good of a story for me not to be part of. And he called me the next morning and said, I'm in. Let's do this together. Let's partner. So you, you two, that, a, a partner, are writing your story. So uh, it, it took a long time. I don't want to do the. I don't want to make it sound like it's easy peasy. But uh, you eventually wrote the book. You co-authored the book, Gun Runner, and is is it available online? Can people buy it anywhere now? Yeah, so it's available on Amazon. It's available on Barnes and Noble, um, Walmart.com. I think Target's also carrying it. 
We are going to have an audiobooks version um, available soon. It's available on Kindle, so you can. It's available on paperback and Kindle, Amazon.com, Gunrunner Gun Book. Uh, they'll see a picture of the Zaken Bridge, which is a famous bridge here in Boston with my badge on it. Uh, that's how you know it's my book. And I promise you, your readers and your listeners, they will not be disappointed when if they get this book. And by the way, what's the website where you can get more information about the book? Um, GunrunnerStory.com. And we have a landing page. You have a production company interested in creating a film version of this, correct? That's correct, yes. We're going to have to have you back when that happens to tell us all about it. And I look forward to having Keith on the show to talk about his experience with the book more. Mariel, as always, it's a pleasure and honor to talk to you. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.